Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, April 29th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's show, we've got some more earnings to get to. As always, we'll have one to watch. We even have a nice tweet to read out. But we begin this week with another installment of Between Two Fools. Elizabeth Overbay is COO of Goldman Sachs' Consumer Banking Division, including Marcus by Goldman Sachs and Clarity Money. Dustin Cohn is the head of brand and marketing communications for Marcus by Goldman Sachs. As Financial Literacy Month here in April winds down, our own Matt Frankel sat down to talk with both of them recently about the problems with financial literacy in America today and how Marcus is trying to be a part of the solution. Thank you for joining our podcast on Financial Literacy Month of all times. Um, so, does the Marcus team see financial literacy as a major problem in the U.S. and other aside from creating its financial products, what is Marcus doing to address the problem? So, it, it is uh, a real opportunity uh, in terms of what Marcus by Goldman Sachs can provide to consumers uh, by way of education. Um, there. There is a, a lack of uh, information uh, out there, and you know, consumers are also a, a, a bit uh, ashamed uh, that they, they don't have all the answers, and sometimes that shame creates inertia, and uh, they don't look around for their options. You, you know, even simple things like a savings account, you know, we found through our proprietary research that 60% of, of consumers don't know their interest rates. And about the same number never even shopped around when they opened up their savings account in the first place. And, you know, as we all know, there are um, some pretty big uh, banks out there that are offering, you know, as little as 0.03%, where Marcus by Goldman Sachs offers 2.25%. So, you know, a significant opportunity for consumers to, you know, save more money in, in, in that example. Um, what we also um, do uh, outside of our actual product offerings is, provide content. We have a content hub on Marcus.com with lots of videos and, and articles and, and tools to help educate consumers uh, about their options and get them more comfortable with, uh, with the fact that um, there are better ways to save and, and budget and, and earn money. And if they feel a bit more confident uh, in, in their ability to, uh, to learn and apply that, uh, those learnings, they can actually really improve their financial health pretty significantly. Excellent. So, on that, on that note, um, Marcus has something going on called the You Can Money campaign. Can you um, give us a little bit of over, overview of what that is? Sure. You Can Money is our new tagline, our new campaign, and it, it really taps into that, uh, that emotion that I just described in terms of consumers feeling a bit ashamed, um, they lack confidence. Uh, in, in their uh, financial abilities. And if we can inspire consumers to, uh, to, you know, to look around and, and, and see what options are available to them, that, that could give them the confidence to improve their financial health. So You Can Money you know, is sort of uh, our way of, uh, of you know, call to action for consumers to you know, really get their heads out of the sand and see what's, what's out there. Um, and then on, on a more rational uh, front, you can money is about the fact that you can earn more interest you know, with a savings account like Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Um, you can money, meaning you, know, you can pay off credit card debt and potentially lower your, uh, your interest rate that you're, you're paying. You, know, you can money uh, by just better managing um, your, your, your 
budget uh, and your spending habits through tools like Clarity Money. So, you know, you can money is that emotional aspect, that empowerment, um, that, that sort of jolt of optimism that you can do this, and it's also um, a rational message that we have products that can actually help you do this as well. So You, you Can Money uh, launched uh, a couple weeks ago. We have TV, print, radio, outdoor, lots of social media and, and digital advertising, and you know, a big part of it is trying to educate consumers that there, there are easy and simple and fast ways to improve your financial health. So, um, speaking of your products, there, um, Marcus has two main varieties of products. You have your, your lending platform and you have your high-yield deposit platform. Um, and you had mentioned the proprietary research that Marcus does. And I remember from our last conversation that Mar- the personal lending side, you guys did a ton of market research before you even launched on to address some consumer pain points. Um, do you see that as one of the big reasons Marcus has grown so fast and... Do you still see this as a big addressable market, or is personal lending kind of getting as big as it's going to get? No, I, I you know, I, I think we are still really excited about the road ahead. I think we still think we're in early innings for Marcus by Goldman Sachs. We, you know, still see a lot of unmet need in the market. You know, really going back to your first question about financial literacy, and you know, to Dustin's point about the education we can help do to help customers understand that there are better ways to manage their debt. And so, you know, certainly as we think about the early launch of Marcus by Goldman Sachs, we were really focused around better debt management and helping consumers learn about better ways to manage the debt that they had. You know, I think as we think about the opportunities going forward, we think about a lot of other opportunities for customers to manage their finances better as we think about, for instance, home improvement expenses or moving expenses, a much better way to finance those expenses rather than putting them on a credit card. The same thing with opportunities like travel and vacation spend, really helping customers understand that there's a smarter way to handle those kinds of expenses rather than carrying them um, just on their cards. Okay, and the same kind of question in terms of the the high-yield deposit platform. Um, It's fair to say that high-yield deposits in general, not just Marcus, still make up a very small percentage of the overall deposit base when you think of all the traditional brick-and-mortar banks. So... You mentioned educating the consumer is a big obstacle to this, but I would th- I would think that especially with the big interest rate increases over the past couple of years, that that a lot more people would start taking advantage. Why do you think that so many people are not taking advantage yet of high yield savings? I, I think it gets back to the point that consumers uh, are in a state of inertia oftentimes, and you know they they have a savings account that they've had for you know decades sometimes they open it up for for free checking and you know that that money sits there and sometimes is overfunded and when that money just sits there uh, obviously it's not earning the interest it it could use i also think there is um uh, obviously a shift into digital banks that is happening probably more slowly than it that than it should you know, oftentimes consumers just like to know there's a branch for them to, to walk, physically walk into, yet those same consumers can't, you know, really um, can't stand that experience. And, you know, once they learn that they can do all that same banking um, online uh, and, and, you know, a- avoid the overhead, you know, quite frankly, uh, of the branches, um, you know, then they, they, they realize how easy it is to earn more, more money with a digital bank like Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So, you know, really is a, a lack of uh, awareness and, and sometimes just that, uh, that complacency that, that comes from having a, a savings account and a checking account that they've had for, for, for decades. The Marcus platform has grown a lot faster than most experts have predicted. 
Um, last summer, David Solomon, who was at that point your president, he's now your CEO, he gave a presentation um, talking about a bunch of future growth opportunities, which really caught my eye, um, just because there were about a dozen things, and right now you do you know, pretty much two. Um, so uh, he mentioned things like mortgages, insurance products, auto loans, things like that. Um, where do you see the biggest opportunities in consumer finance for Goldman Sachs beyond your existing lines? And I know you can't really speak to any product development going on, but just which of those do you see as big opportunities? Do you still, do still see about a dozen opportunities going forward? Yeah, we, we still see a lot of opportunities in the market, you know, as we think about the pain points that customers have in terms of dealing with their, their finances. You know, those pain points exist across a whole host of categories, and, and we think any number of those could be interesting opportunities for us as we think about our opportunity to, to impact our customers. You know, as we think about, you know, what we see on the horizon, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the merger that we're doing internally with our colleagues in the investment management division. We're excited about the opportunity to expand our business alongside some of the infrastructure that they have. And so things like consumer wealth management, definitely something that's sort of near and dear to our hearts that we see as an interesting opportunity going forward. And so, you know, we've got a, a lot of different um, ideas sort of in the lab, so to speak, and, and some of them, is, as you can imagine, kind of rise to the top. Excellent. So um, since I last spoke with, with you guys, I, uh, Dustin in particular, in October at the Money 2020 conference in Las Vegas, um, it's been about, you know, six months or so. Can you give us an idea of kind of what's Marcus's big priorities right now? What have, what have you been working on since then? And what can consumers expect over the next year or two um, from Marcus? We're, we're constantly looking at, at the marketplace and talking to consumers to understand what their pain points are in, in the industry. Um, you know, most recently, you know, we, we talked to consumers about um, CDs. And you know, one of the things that came out of that was a new product offering, um, no penalty CDs. So uh, we have a number of different offerings where if you uh, take out your money before um, the, the term, you can do that and, and not be charged any sort of fees, which is pretty consistent with our no-fee offering across loans and uh, the lack of fees uh, on our savings account as well. So you know, as we think about what's next for Marcus, we're, we're, we're constantly talking to consumers about their experiences in uh, the world of uh, financial services and identifying those those um, pain points that we believe that we can solve. And, you know, as, as you know, uh, Goldman Sachs really prides itself on uh, being consumer-centric and customer and client-centric. Um, we are a technology-based firm. Um, we are very good at risk management. And, you know, we look for opportunities where we can solve pain points and there's a big enough market for uh, us to, uh, you know, to, to really uh, – uh, succeed and not necessarily have to have a huge market share um, in that market. So um, we're exploring a lot of opportunities as, as usual and, and putting the consumer at the center of everything we do is, is really the, the secret sauce. Excellent. So speaking of pain points, um, just to kind of give our listeners some ideas of what you're talking about, when you guys developed the personal lending platform, that was a big thing is to solve a bunch of customer consumer pain points. So um, can you just kind of give us a rundown of the pain points that your existing products specifically solve for for the public? Sure. You know, talking more about no fees in our, in our personal loans, uh, a lot of consumers are very surprised that they are charged origination fees. And, 
um, you know, you, you, you get approved for $10,000 and you only get 9500 because the lender takes out that, uh, that $500 um, as an origination fees, fee. Um, people are frustrated when they pay down uh, their loan early and are charged fees. Um, and, of course, uh, late fees. So we actually launched our product and, and continue to uh, maintain our product with absolutely no fees, no origination fees, no late fees, no fees for paying down early. So that was a major pain point. Not to mention consumers are, are typically surprised uh, about that origination fee, which was another pain point in terms of being transparent and being very simple. So you'll, you'll note that you know, even on our website, we're really clear in terms of how we make money. And that, that's a, a question we get pretty frequently, if you don't charge fees, how do you make money? Well, very um, um, front and center on our website, we describe that we make money on, on interest and, and, and we don't need to charge fees. We also use uh, language that is very straightforward and transparent. Um, in fact, you know, as we talk about origination fees, we don't even call them origination fees. We call them sign-up fees because we want to use very basic, straightforward um, simple uh, language. That was another big pain point consumers have is, you know, all this sort of jargon um, that a lot of financial services um, speak in, in terms of we want to make sure that, you know, everything um, in terms of our communications is very straightforward, very simple, no, no jargon. Um, you know, another pain point was being able to talk to uh, a customer representative. And so when we launched lending, um, while it certainly costs us more money uh, in, in terms of being able to staff our call centers a- appropriately, we don't have any sort of machines that, uh, that you need to sort of be put on hold and press two for this and three for this. We actually pick up the phone, and you know, oftentimes consumers are, are really surprised by, by that. One of my favorite stories from a, a consumer, we were doing some call listening, and we picked up the phone, and, and the woman uh, on the other line started laughing. And the agent asked her, well, why, you know, what's so funny? Are you okay? And she said, well, you know, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm actually in the bathroom. And she said, you know, I I called you thinking I would be put on hold and I'd have to press a button, a bunch of numbers to get to who I, uh, who I needed to get a hold of. And, you know, I'd have some time to uh, sort of finish my business. And uh, of course she asked us to call that. She asked us if it was okay if she called us back, but, you know, that's another example of a pain point where consumers are just so used to, you know, being put on hold and, and having to deal with machines before they actually talk to a person. We solved that pain point and were able to, um, you know, uh, create a situation where we surprise and delight consumers every day by being able to talk to uh, an individual. And, you know, you may have heard uh, very recently we won uh, or we were ranked number one by J.D. Power in their personal uh, loan category. So, it, you know, it goes to show you with um, things like no fees and, and um, you know, a, a call center that picks up the phone and a great uh, digital uh, and mobile experience, you know, all of those things uh, were intended to solve pain points. And, you know, the, 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 our customers are, are voting by, uh, by putting us uh, in the number one slot for uh, the J.D. Power rankings of personal loans. Well, if you can actually call Marcus and talk to a person at any point you want to, then I can see why they're voting that much higher. Because um, with my bank, I know that's my biggest pain point is if there's something wrong, trying to you know get a charge reverse, trying to reach a person can be maddening, yeah. especially with these the automated systems that don't quite understand what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's exactly right. 
Well, you know, and, and one other pain point that I, I think is, is worth referencing as well is most lenders will tell you the day of the month that you need to pay them. And we actually give our consumers the, the option uh, to pick their, their date that they pay us. You know, they know when they're paid from their employer. They know when their other bills are, 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 are owed. And, you know, it, it's a great feature uh, for consumers to be able to manage their, their cash flow better. So they pick, can pick the monthly um, the, or the date, and they can also um, pick a monthly payment option. So, for example, if, if you uh, are looking to borrow $10,000 and you want to pay around, you know, four or $500 a month, you know, we actually can um, issue you a loan with a, a tenor that could be 33 months. It could be uh, 53 months. It, it could be, you know, really any combination to give you or get you as close to that monthly payment uh, option as, as possible where, you know, other lenders fit you into like a three-year or four-year or five-year and it. It's sort of cookie cutter. Uh, we have a personalized uh, feature that allows you to pick your uh, monthly payment option and uh, the date that you pay us. So uh, another another pain point uh, that we identified and, and solved through our offering. And you know, we obviously have the uh, the benefit uh, of, of being a balance sheet lender, which allows us that sort of flexibility. Definitely. And um, speaking of you know other lenders, um, it's just based on what you said, it's easy to make the case that you're doing a lot of things better than the competition. But do you see this as a market that has a lot of room for everybody to grow? Or do you really see this as kind of personal personal lending as like having evolved into a real competitive environment? Yeah, I mean, overall, if we look at the consumer credit landscape, it is obviously a, a huge, um, it, it, it's a huge industry overall, as we think about, um, you know, what's out there. And so, we, one of the criteria that we had when we entered the, the space overall, and this goes back a little bit to Dustin's point, a place where there's a big market and, and even having small, relatively small market share can still be you know, pretty meaningful for us and, and therefore similarly for, for others. And so we do view it as a place where we can carve out a really interesting place for ourselves where we can you know, focus on delivering value to our customers um, and, and have, have flexibility around the size of the business. You know, at, at the end of the day, 77% of consumers don't even know you can use a, a loan for a credit card balance. And so that's, a, to us, a really good indicator that there's, there's still plenty of room to grow. Excellent. And um, I know, like, like we, we touched on the, the dozen, of, uh, dozen or so um, potential future opportunities, and I know you can't speak to, to those individually, but do you see kind of the, the no-fee nature, the, US, the customer service, do you see those as kind of carrying over to future Marcus products? We'd like to maintain that con- consistency across everything we offer, but you know, obviously, uh, n- new products may require um, you know uh, different uh, evaluation and different execution. Um, but regardless of what we do, we are going to try to identify those consumer pain points. And because we have the benefit of really building this um, business from from scratch with without any legacy technology, without any legacy products. Um, we are able to, you know, really create uh, what what we think will be, you know, the very best in class products ac- across all categories. No, I think as we think about new product development, the most important thing to us is how can we position ourselves to be on the side of the customer. And so, at the end of the day, that's what it's all going to come back to. Excellent. Well, I think I speak for all of our listeners when I say we cannot wait to see what Marcus has in store next. Well, thank you. We're uh, we're, we're really uh, appreciative to have the time with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining me.
And now joining me in the studio via Skype is certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, another nice interview there with the folks at Goldman. Good job. Thanks. I always like talking to them. They they always have really interesting points to make, and they're very they're just fun to chat with. Yeah, they seem to be very uh, very up on financial literacy as well. I mean, that that seems to be a cause that really matters to them. And, and clearly, Goldman is steering their business in that direction, trying to utilize some of their vast resources to tackle some of those big problems. It's good to see. Yeah, um, definitely. I hope I wish them all the best in their consumer oh yeah, banking yeah. endeavors. Well, maybe we'll get them back here soon. Uh, Earnings season is is going on, as as our listeners know, and we have some earnings that are getting ready to hit this week. But we had some earnings that hit late last week. We wanted to uh, get to here, and we're going to start with Visa. Uh, Matt, you took a look at Visa's quarter. What stood out to you? Well, it's Visa's a huge company that's still growing pretty fast. Um, <laughs> I mean, revenue was up eight percent year over year. Earnings were up seventeen percent, which when earnings are growing faster than revenue, that tells you that a company's generally doing a really good job with expenses. Um, Visa spent less on marketing, less on professional services than it did last year, despite the revenue increase, which is why you saw earnings really jump. Um, Visa did so well in the first quarter that they actually increased their guidance for the entire year. Nice. And, you know, on an earnings beat, a stock could go up or down depending on the context of the report. Same with revenue beat. But when a company increases its guidance for the year, it's generally a really good surprise for investors. That's one of the only universal things that you're generally going to see, you know, the stock react to positively. And Visa's at an all-time high right now, so it looked pretty good. Um, they're expecting, you know, double-digit growth this year. It's at high, high to mid double digits for um, earnings per share, double-digit revenue growth. They're expecting now. Um, payment volume keeps going up. Payment volume was up 8% year over year. Transactions, the number of transactions Visa processed was up 9% year over year. So these are some impressive numbers considering the size of Visa and the growth they've had over the past, you know, five to 10 years. So this, if you think Visa's already gotten as big as it can get, this report tells you to think again. <laughs> I think that's a good point. I mean, you know, we we talk about it all the time, but I mean, this move away from cash and towards um, mobile payments, contactless payments, whatever it may be. I mean, Visa is a big company, three hundred fifty-six billion dollar market cap. But I mean, we're watching some of these big tech companies today that are. Uh, touching on one trillion dollar market caps now. I mean, obviously those tech companies are in very big market opportunities as well. But I mean, I think when we talk about how money flows around the world, that's clearly a huge market opportunity because we are talking about basically the entire world, and we're talking about these networks that have this that have the, this money just going all sorts of different directions. I mean, that is something that is only going to continue to grow. I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all. Uh, to see Visa at some point in our lifetime uh, knocking on that one trillion dollar market cap. Uh, I mean, am, am I way off base here? Or what do you think? No, and actually, you you mentioned that um, this is a trend all around the world. It's worth mentioning that Visa's international revenue actually slowed the growth slowed down this quarter. So Visa had such a great quarter despite bad international revenue. So. International remains a huge opportunity for Visa. It's a little more than I think half of their trend total payment volume. But I mean, that's just a small drop in the bucket compared to their potential. Visa's barely in China yet, for example. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of the most populated places in the world, Visa's barely scratched the surface. So it, there's a ton of opportunity here. I wouldn't 
I would not at all be surprised in the next you know decade or so even if Visa starts knocking on that one trillion market cap. Yeah, that's not that's not out of the realm of of possibility for sure. Well, uh, sticking on the payments theme, I mean, we'll take a look at PayPal here real quick, and I mean, there's not a whole heck of a lot to nitpick. I mean, the the you know again, I mean, they they turn in strong numbers, revenue grew. 12% for the quarter, uh, but they did a very good job of bringing that down to the bottom line. Gap earnings up 34%, non-gap earnings are up 37%. Um, any which way you look at it, uh, PayPal continues to be a network that people are utilizing. And I think when you look at some of these numbers, I mean, it is it is really impressive. To- total payment volume of $161 billion for the quarter was up 25%. Total transactions of 2.8 billion was up 28% from a year ago. They added 9.3 million new accounts for the quarter. That was up 15%. They now have 277 million total active accounts, which is really impressive. And and again, going back to that going back to that same sort of theme with Visa, you know, it's it's still such a huge market market opportunity left out there. Um, you know, I, th- I think it was really interesting. They noted they have 40 million active users now with Venmo, and we know they're working on monetizing Venmo. That'll be something that they, I think, they're not going to rush to do that. I think they're taking their time and making sure they do that the right way, and that's uh, encouraging as well. Uh, they uh, talked about last quarter they were reporting that Venmo was operating on a 200 million dollar revenue run rate. That now stands at three hundred million dollars. So more people sending more money through those networks. Um, I mean, it really just gets you back to that idea that I mean, PayPal to me is is one of those companies that every foolish investor really should have in their portfolio because it has so many of those great qualities that we look for from strong management to massive market opportunities to constantly innovating. It's one you can own for many many years to come. And I I would put Visa in that same category. Um, and I, I think you probably would too. Yeah, um, <laughs> PayPal actually makes Visa's growth rate look kind of slow. <laughs> uh, they're doing that well. And uh, the thing, one thing to point out with that, uh, everyone who's listened to the show before knows that I, I think the world of peer-to-peer or person-to-person payments is a long-term opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do companies like PayPal and Square, like I talk about all the time, have the same international growth opportunity Visa does. They have a big domestic opportunity as well because while the majority of big transactions in in merchants these days are done with cards, yep. the majority of person to person transactions and smaller transactions are still done in cash. So although things like Venmo have gotten very popular, especially among the younger generations, it's still not the majority of its addressable market. I've seen statistics where, you know, the most transactions under say twenty bucks happen in cash. Yeah. So this is a big market. Um I mean, if I have to give if I have to split the check with my friends at dinner, I'd still use cash. I'll admit I'm kind of a, <laughs> an old school guy in that way, but people eventually that might not be the case. Eventually my friends might, you know, insist that I pay them electronically because they don't want cash. I but big... the point is there's this is a huge addressable opportunity domestically in addition to internationally. So which is why you're seeing such a breathtaking growth rate for these these companies that have person-to-person payment platforms. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, and I tend to look at it. I mean, I know we always talk about investing for the long term and thinking in years and sometimes decades. Um, which the older you get, I think 
sometimes it can be a little bit difficult because you wonder how many decades perhaps you have left. But one of the things I always like to do is I you know I look at my daughters and they are 14 and going on 13 and I I basically just try to envision what the world looks like when they're 30. When they essentially uh, you know, 15 years down the line, or, or whatever, they're they're around 30 years old. What's the world going to look like? And I, I just I, I feel like these are companies that are still going to be very relevant in in what they're doing, and probably a bigger part of of their generation's lives than even today. And and I think that really bodes well for investors. It's not to say you hold these things blindly. You obviously, have to keep uh, keep tabs on them and make sure management is doing is doing the right thing. But um, yeah, I mean, we're looking for big market opportunities. You know, it's hard to disrupt the fact that you have to pay for stuff. I mean, it's just going to be a matter of how you do it. And and I think that companies like Visa and PayPal and Mastercard and Square and Stripe and and you know, Stripe works with Shopify and Shopify is getting into some hardware stuff. I saw those are all businesses that I think are really uh, worth a look for investors. Even even today, when we feel like valuations are a little bit out there. I think that's when you really have to focus on getting those high quality businesses, and those are some of them for sure. Uh, let's tap into Twitter here real quick, Matt. I wanted to read this off for our listeners just because, man, you know, anytime you ever see these tweets where people have nice things to say, it gives you a little warm and fuzzy. You know, you feel good. It makes it makes you feel like we're doing this thing for a reason. And um, we have a listener, Kurt Adams, who chimed in on Twitter last week. Kurt said, I just want to thank you, Industry Focus, Motley Fool Money, Market Foolery, and everyone in the Motley Fool for making my one hour drive to work and back fun, capital fun. I've started listening to you guys last year and I'm learning a great deal about investing. And Kurt, thank you for the kind words and thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for trusting us. Uh, promise you, we we take that very seriously. We aim to entertain, but also more so educate and enrich, and um, and hopefully help you, uh, you know, become smarter, happier, richer. That's that's in line with what we stand for here at the Motley Fool. And uh, so, Matt, I don't know. I thought that that made me feel good. How to make you feel? How to make you feel? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I don't have a commute right now. I've, as you can, <laughs> people who are watching this on video can see I'm in my living room at the moment. Well, with a, with a nice desk behind me, but I at, at times in my life I've had pretty long commutes, so I definitely feel for people who do that. And I'm, if anything can make if if I could do anything to make a one hour commute bearable, then I'm doing a we're doing a pretty decent job over here. So that's right, that's right. All right, well let's wrap this thing up here, Matt. We've uh, it's time for one to watch. Let's give our listeners a stock on our radar here for the coming week. What is your one to watch this week? I'm watching my favorite person-to-person payment stock, Square. Ah, um, I've heard of it. They're, they're a payment processor at heart, but the person-to-person, uh, the, the cash app is, in my opinion, by far their biggest long-term opportunity. Um, you know, people like Jason's daughters are going to be are going to make Square rich over the years, um, and Square is reporting earnings in this coming week. So I'm curious to see how their um, first quarter went and. How their cash app's doing? If you remember last year, uh, the number of active users doubled, yeah. more than doubled. So I want to see if this trend is continuing. I don't expect to get any hard numbers on the cash users till the end of 2019. But I, Square's always an exciting report. I mean, if a, a bad quarter, they grow 20, grow 30 percent. So <laughs> it's always interesting to see what they're going to report. 
Yep, yep, I agree. Well, I am going to be watching Amalgamated Bank uh, earnings come out on Tuesday, and listeners will remember we had CEO Keith Mestrich on the show here a few weeks back. Uh, really a fun interview, a good interview. Uh, remember, they're the ones that are building America's socially responsible bank, and I think Keith gave us a lot of great insight as as to how they're doing that and why they're doing that. And, and so for me, really, I'm just looking forward to checking in, seeing how the bank is growing, uh, building up their assets and deposits, see if there's any perspective on the current interest rate environment, any new lines of business or customers that are really uh, buying into that vision of a socially responsible bank. Because I have a feeling that'll be a message that resonates with a lot of folks here in the coming years and decades. Um, so yeah, Amalgamated Bank definitely one I've got on my personal watch list, and and one I'm looking forward to checking out tomorrow when those earnings come out. Uh, Matt, hey, I think that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. Uh, again, great interview there with Goldman Sachs. Really appreciate you doing that, and I think we'll have some more interviews lined up here uh, soon. Uh, but any parting words? I'm looking forward to uh, a big interview we have coming up in a couple weeks that we'll just have to wait and see who it is. That's right. (laughs) We'll keep our listeners hanging on every word. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 